welcome to episode five of season two of Variologies. My name's Dan Calcano. I'm the host of this podcast. Uh, if you don't know me, I've been a pastor for over eight years, a student of the Bible for over 15 years, and I'm interested in theology, of course, but also philosophy and politics. And so I thought this would be a great way, having this podcast would be a great way for me to engage in discussions about topics related to these areas. And in particular, uh, we have our Paideia group at our church, uh, a special group that meets and likes to offer presentations and have discussions about all kinds of topics. And so many of these episodes, especially in this season of the podcast, will include those from our Paideia group at our church. Today's discussion is a little different. We have Matthew, John, and PJ, and we tackled the topic of Western culture, Western society, the rise and or the fall of the West, and what we think about the West and, and where we think our society is going. However, you'll notice that halfway through the discussion, I had to leave, and that's because uh, I'm also a father, and I had to get home and help out with the family. The realities of being a father, the realities of being a dad, uh, sometimes mean I can't devote all my time to these sort of things. So the guys continued on their discussion a little bit further. Hope you'll find it interesting. If you'd like to support this podcast, please share it with others and consider donating at my website, MessianicNiagara.com. You can follow me on social media, Twitter in particular, at Dan Calcano. You can email the podcast, Variologies at gmail.com is our email address. With that out of the way, let's get into the discussion today. So then, okay, so then I'll ask you then, Matt, in a proposition, do you think the West is going to fall? Or how would you, is it falling? Do you think it will fall? Do you think it will remain and stabilize? And how do you, and what would you define a fall as even? That's a really good question. I, I, don't, I don't know, like, in what respect I think it's falling. I, I think in a moral respect, it's falling. But then again, that makes me sound like a Christian dogmatic preacher when I say that. You know, you know I have a hard time believing that the West is going to f- succumb to its enemies. I have a hard time believing that China or Russia are going to grow into powers to overtake um, the West. And that's largely because my understanding of how governments and institutions work, and particularly the principle of subsidiarity. Okay. Right? So subsidiarity is this principle that you know, when you're dealing with problems, you should deal with it at the most local level before you ascend to high authorities. Mm-hmm. So a tyrannical regime, like in Russia or China, it's a subversion of subsidiarity. So where you deal with, with problems at the, at the level of the highest authority rather than dealing with problems at the most local level with the people, right? So the issue with tyrannical regimes is that, that when they try to solve a problem, there's so much, you know, they are so far removed mm. from the problem that they're not the experts. Correct. They don't know what's best. Yeah. The people know what's best. Yes. So I, I can't imagine unless the West turns into a kind of a tyranny, which I don't think it will. I don't think it's going to succumb to these other tyrannical sort of regimes, mm-hmm. right? Because as, as long as it follows the principles of subsidiarity, as long as, as there's checks and balances on institutional power. So are, are you, you're saying that we don't necessarily need to fear 
a foreign defeat, but it could collapse from the inside. Right. So then so maybe the that issue. would make it vulnerable to a foreign defeat. Right. 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 Like that could be the consequence. If something collapsed on the inside, where we have no more social order or moral order, then we're going to have these small tyrannies. These these maybe small collectives of people. Right right almost at war with each other right almost like these nation states being yeah. at war with each other mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, like in the greek the various greek poli right well like when when we bring the topic of the west up and will it fall and all that sort of thing i think that there are people who like myself for example and i hope you guys and many other people who believe in the principles that that uh, undergird the west which is right. well you said democracy but i would say even like the the primacy of the individual Right. Uh, individual individuals matter because, in fact, it, it's it's important to care about minorities because minorities are are vulnerable, and that's a, the Christian attitude is uh, we should have compassion upon those who are less fortunate or those who yeah. are less powerful. Well, the 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 biggest minority that you can possibly have is an individual, mm-hmm. and I want to live in a society where each individual is respected. Mm-hmm. Is is uh, has the right to to live their lives, to have a, a right to life, to have a right to their freedom, and to own, be able to own property, um, and not have a, a tyrannical government interfering in our lives. And so, I think there are people that believe in that and want to see that continue and even get better. Um, but then there are a lot of people who either don't even have any idea what any of that is, or are so invested in their in their worldview or in their politics that these things don't matter to them or or they would rather have their worldview uh, held up over the worldview that I just presented there. And so and so, so then there's this. I think that there is an, an inevitable day coming. It's, a, it's going to be inevitable where people who want the West to continue the way that we want it to continue are going to have to split from the people who... Uh, are not on the same page with us. So when you say, uh, I want to know something, it's really easy for people to say they. You know, they yes. are controlling. They, But who's they? I don't believe there is a they so as in real people. I, I, I mean any individual who who wouldn't <laughs> be on board with the principles of individuality right. and, and of rights and of uh, uh, free speech uh, and right. the ability to, to have discussions like this and to live your lives the way you see fit, to have the kind of interaction that we have at a church and in our paideia group and in this podcast where we don't get upset with one another just because we disagree. Mm-hmm. We, we, we still get along, we're still friends, and we just, you know, if the, I want to see that kind of society continue. And whoever is not on the same page with that, I, I, I would want them to have their own space. Right. So are you referring to maybe groups of people say, on the left politically like is that who it, it tends to? to be more right. more so uh, uh, those who are on the extreme left only because for some reason people on the right have some understanding of individual freedom See, right. so yeah i want to comment right. real okay. quick because oh, yeah. like, one thing i'd say one of the strong points again of the west is what you said mm-hmm. rights this notion yeah. of human rights and so so good and i would almost argue that again the discourse and the mythology tries to make it as if there's like a left and a right but what i would say it's actually more so 
between like those who are more authoritarian or that believe in a more authoritarian government to solve these problems or those who take more of a personal responsibility or an individualism. And that would be yeah. kind of the distinction. Some would say that those who hold to like the more personal responsibility or individual would be right or left. That's fine. Yeah. But I would say what my experience was of the last two years, which was so interesting, was that many people who would identify with the left, so to speak, were actually very much aligned with me politically on the last two years and how the government handled, mm -hmm. like, say, the COVID episode. And say, or even like the vaccine mandates, people who are as far left as you can be on social issues, all these mm -hmm. things, they were like, I felt really uncomfortable and I didn't want to get vaccinated. Yeah. But then people who are the most staunch, like fiscal conservative, like I hold every dollar in my bank account, like just yeah. the people who are the most traditionally right wing conservative, Chris, like they were very pro-vax. And yeah. not only were they vaccinated personally, but they saw it as the morally right duty of every person yeah. also to be. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think what's so interesting, and this was again morphing into what is the fall of the West, is that traditional political categories that people thought it no longer actually exist and apply. You see new categories and new uh, ways of thinking about what it means to even live in the West is emerging. And that's like been really wild and interesting to be a part of, I guess. But. So what I think interesting about what you're raising, because I had the same experience too. I know a lot of people who are very conservative and obviously on the right, Okay, very devout Christian who would at times even lambast me for my views about uh, the vaccine and mm. whether or not uh, the government should be mandating these things. I'm against the vaccine mandate. I'm not against the vaccines, but I'm against mm. the vaccine mandates. Me but too. you're right. It doesn't seem the question about the vaccines doesn't seem to be a battle line between the left and right. Right. You know, which I think is interesting. So I. I think I would agree with you, PJ, that, yeah, like it's, it's, we can't just categorize people on the left and right as so different from us. You know, I think a lot of people on the left believe in the same kind of democratic, yeah. you know, they say, they say they're democratic. Right. Everybody's right. saying they're all democratic. Everybody's saying, uh, everybody's saying they're committed to the same similar yeah. values. Yeah, we have some such differences. And, and if I may, that this is, and, and John, I promise you're going to, you're going to get a chance. Some people would like try to, I really dislike when people try to, uh, uh, make things about race or make things about like mm -hmm. certain groups. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like no my my tribe if you, if you want to use yeah, that term yeah, yeah. my tribe are is anyone who believes in these principles and wants to uphold them and live by them. I don't care what what uh, race you are. I don't care what uh, gender you are or, or, or sexual orientation. I, I don't care. That doesn't matter. We can get along if we hold to the same principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really agree with you guys. I mean, I should clarify that, you know, when I say I agree with uh, Dan, that uh, things like, I mean, because the thing is that minority groups do matter, but I think only when they're disempowered, mm -hmm. um, which kind of brings me to a point that it's, it's not really necessarily that we should be looking at minority groups, though minority groups tend to be disproportionately represented in this, uh, well, basically that we should be looking at economically disparate groups, hmm. um, which often are minorities. And I think that's a much more important distinction and also kind of leads into the power dynamic that PJ is mentioning, hmm. where it's really not about left and right, or it's just about this uh, authoritarian uh, power distribution. Yeah. So like even on the topic of you know free speech, uh, yeah, there's the COVID vaccines, uh, different left uh, and right wing um, media outlets will offer different solutions. But like even like very generally, you know, you guys talked about the uh, left in terms of uh, left in terms of free speech. I mean, a lot of what the uh, right is, I mean, it's very easy to attack American politics. Um, 
but you know in America a lot of uh, right wing right wing groups for example are restricting uh, math textbooks mm. um, you know on the grounds that they are woke they're woke but some of these uh, examples though are uh, things like they'll use a kid with a name like Jamal mm. in a question about apples, right? That's the definition that they're using for woke textbooks. Mm. This is an example that I've seen, um, an example that they have given. Mind you, this, uh, now I'll tell you the truth, this was from a YouTube news outlet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I hope we can transcend the, in a way, the left and right divide because there's lots of things I think conservative governments do. They're just so hypocritical. Mm -hmm. Right, so yeah, like I think if that's the case, if they're ban if they're doing the same thing that the, the left was doing in, in, in banning or, or, or book burning, you know, I, I think that's wrong. So uh, just for the sake of the podcast, I have to get home to put my kids to bed, but these guys are going to continue on, and uh, hopefully we'll have another discussion again soon. Again, the last two years, it brought to the surface so many things, and again, this kind of. A fluid notion of categories, and here's me speaking like a postmodern, so to speak, of what it means to conceptualize categories. Because I would say, like a person who is a left wing or okay, votes so a certain way, which then insinuates a certain, certain demographic. Exactly. So, because then what I would say was over the last two years, people who were traditionally very left were usually, if you were on the left, you were opposed to like a very hyper capitalism. You were opposed to things like um, corporate monopolies on certain products. So, for example, this is where it's relevant. I still remember a time when I was in high school where people were talking about how big pharma in America had so much power and influence on societies they could charge or upcharge prices on any kind of product that they wanted to sell. And they would consider that a great moral wrong. But then the typical right-wing argument was that, oh, any, any uh, corporate entity that wants to sell a product and even make a profit on that product for the greater good, it's justified for them to do so. Mm -hmm. But then what happened with the, with the vaccine mandates then? was people who were usually opposed to big pharma. And even remember the names like Barnes Scarelli, like guys like him who were just like upcharging like... Uh, um, uh, what he you got a prison it? sentence, right? Yeah, but like, the anyways, kid, so like the people like who were supporting... Yeah. All of a sudden, they became the biggest promoters and champions of big pharma. Because you're like, does it sit unwell with you that these multi-billion dollar companies have an absolute corporate monopoly on this product, have no liability for their product, and they're also making ridiculous amounts of profit off it? And they go, no. And you'd be like, why though? Like, wasn't it your position that, and then be like, no, 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 this is different though, because yeah. it's okay for them to make a profit for a morally good cause. I'm like, you would just outline capitalism 101, the most yeah. basic argument that there was. Yeah. So like, these are different ways where it's, again, it's hard to place people on different points. And I would even say in some ways that like free speech or um, free, like those could have been as well argued like principles of the left, but now they seem to be a bit more principles of the right. And what you just said, and what I want to say too, is now you're seeing that on the right as well. You'll see maybe our right-wing commentators like a Matt Walsh, and they want to eliminate various documentaries or yeah. like the drag queen shows and stuff. And it's interesting because if you have a true free speech, everybody should have a voice to speak what they want. Yeah. Oh, but if the free speech is harmful, it needs to be eliminated. Okay, which, so which saying, political position are, are we talking about? Are you saying Matt about? Walsh is, is, and I'm not supporting Matt Walsh. Because um, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with the Matt Walsh and his, and his, do, his documentary yeah. or any like right-wing or left-wing commentator. Um, I would even add in like the Elon Musk thing is right now. It's interesting because same thing. People are like, oh, Elon is this sort of champion of free speech, but he's been uh, banning some yeah. people. And it's just, it gets so convoluted. But the point, my undergirding point was that traditional left or right-wing categories 
no longer apply in 2022 and going forward. There's a new political and a new philosophical underpinning living in the West. And I think it's going to continue to change and morph. I mean, I've had a few different conversations with people about this now. Um, my sort of position on this has been that, like, even though maybe like media, uh, media typical uh, leftism has changed, I think the heart of the left and most of the people that you talk to in the real world are still that traditional um, leftist, like we believe in free speech, we want uh, people to feel like respected individuals, and you know, uh, maybe like some caveat, like, oh, we don't want hate speech, for example, right? Okay. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, I don't think we necessarily have to abandon the term left altogether okay. and say apolitical. And I think saying something like I'm apolitical is possibly worse because even though you're taking a stance, you're kind of pretending to not take a stance. There's a myth of neutrality, right? There is no real neutrality. And when you're using labels like left or right, you know, obviously you're making generalizations. Obviously there's more nuance, right, that's involved in these categories than any sort of unified sort of worldview or or conception of of what they stand for. I, I think what's important is that you know, we can't think the battle lines between different demographics of people. I think we always have to situate our problems as the individual versus institutions, right? So when Paul the Apostle says, you know, the battle is not with flesh and blood, right, but with the, the principalities, I, I understand that verse to, to mean it's the people need to be able to keep institutions in check, mm. not necessarily individuals but institutions. Because the problem when you're confronting an institution like the government or corporations, you know, it's, it's hard to pick, oh, that person is responsible or mm. that person, because the entire system is responsible. So if, if you ever read uh, The Life of the Binds by Hannah Arndt, right, who's a, a philosopher, she argues that, you know, the Holocaust happened. So she asks the question, why did the Holocaust happen? And she observed that a lot of the reasons that the, the German, the Germans um, allowed the Holocaust is because they were simply listening to orders. They're obeying orders, mm. right? There's no one German that's responsible, although some people would disagree with what okay, she's saying. Enough, saying like, but what she's saying is, is true nonetheless. Like, there's not one person that's responsible. It's a collective responsibility. But a collect- nobody feels a collective responsibility, right? Every soldier said, oh, I was just following orders. I was just following orders. I was following, you know, so there's, um, there's a systemic sort of problem going on. There's something wrong. There's, some- there's an imbalance of powers within the system itself that's, that can't be localized to one person yeah. or another person. Um, yeah, I mean, I do agree that the Holocaust is sort of a, well, was the result of a systemic issue. I'm not necessarily convinced that it was the result of not taking well the sole responsibility of no you can't be individual responsibility you are right i think hannah aren't is is wrong maybe about the specifics about the holocaust because you know the nazis they did pick brutal people to do specific jobs yes right who were intentionally evil right but i think she's generally right about how systems of or how institutions operate and how it's hard to find single individuals to take responsibility you know yeah. so yeah like i think she she might be wrong about the particulars about the holocaust but i think she's generally right in her assessment of how institutions operate to try to understand how these institutions you know we don't want to 
make the battle between whites and black or men and women or rich and poor. We want to mm -hmm. start engaging with these problems, these, you know, as if it's the individual versus systems or institutions. Exactly. Right. And I think that's the best way going forward. Because what I, and I'll tell you what I think is then you're right. I want to get back to the root issues, like the fall of the West, because, and especially, and history is so important in this, for this, because like we're Canadian and speaking to a Canadian audience and a Canadian history is that it's hard for Canadians to believe or think that the institutions that operate in Morales are either captured, working against the good of the people, or they become like poison in a sense as a population that our institutions and in government and health and sciences they have been working for nefarious means. Because when we talk about institutions, still though, any corporation or institution, it's a collection of individual people. Mm -hmm. And there's a hierarchy and always, there's always a decision maker. Like I've worked in this, you always try to talk to the decision maker. You don't talk to the lower ups because they have to get approval from the higher ups. There's always a decision maker. So what I think is that if you have an institution that's been corrupted by bribery or by um, personal motivation compared to like the per like for the good of the people like that's what would be considered in today's Canadian population a conspiracy mm -hmm. and what I would say actually no when you look at history throughout time history the change of uh, history is the study of change over time is one story of empire essentially mm -hmm. of ruling powers and individuals who lead by confidence and who lead by uh, a desire for personal accumulation taking over territories or taking over mm -hmm. to accumulate resources and stuff. And the Canadian population, I believe that's why we're so susceptible to what is going to be coming in the West, which is this great fall. Because since World War II, there's been no longer, there's no longer any memory of tragedy or any memory of like a heroic deed for which we need to fight for these principles. Because if we talk about principles like human rights or freedom, mm -hmm. these kind of like great principles that existed in the Canadian consciousness the last 80 or 90 years, our society and our time period and us, even as millennials and maybe the boomer generation above us, we've only lived in the zenith period of empire, mm -hmm. prosperity, decadence, peace, our institute, and even in our institutions in Canada, our healthcare system, our governments, didn't matter if it was really left or right. For the most part, there always is and was corruption. I, like that, that's inevitable. For, but for the most part, our institutions always worked really well. Mm -hmm. we, most people in Canada were able to have a fairly decent life. Like even if you were poor, you still got food three or two or three times a day. You still had a roof over your head going back to like a Maslow, like a very basic needs. And that's why people will come to Canada. And that's what makes Canada, I still think, such an amazing and great country mm -hmm. is that people want to come here for all these things. And I'm concerned, especially with the last two years, not only does it show how hard fought it was to gain those great victories and freedom and decadence, um, but they can slip away very quickly. And there are other people out there, bad people, I'm going to use the word bad people to keep it black and white, who want to take our good stuff. Mm -hmm. And Canadians, I think, are blinded to it because our history blinds us to it. We cannot think of anything other than our yeah. particular time period. So, and and I, I did read this in your book. And, oh, okay. and what's, what's the name of your book again? Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ. So you can buy PJ's book on <laughs> Amazon. Like, sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's on Amazon, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. So anyway, I, I read some of your arguments. And yeah, I, I think okay. I generally agree with you. Um, that people, particularly Canadians, were, were too comfortable mm -hmm. with our own comfort. So we, mm -hmm. we, we just think it's unfathomable that something in Canada, there could be a real crisis or a real um, tyrant in Canada. right? I don't believe that Trudeau is a tyrant. But what I do believe, I think he's creating policies or enacting policies that make the possibility for tyranny 
um, to exist, mm -hmm. right? It, it creates a loophole for somebody to come in and exploit situation, especially I think with the, the use of the Emergencies Act. Yeah, right? well, I mean, um, there though, I guess you wouldn't necessarily say that Trudeau created a loophole, but rather that he used one. Well, his father created a loophole, because I think his father, <laughs> you know, uh, um, maybe there's a conspiracy there, you know, maybe yeah. there's his family, uh, <laughs> Conspiracy that, uh, but you know, I no, he he created, he, he made it a living reality, right? It's not just an abstract sort of policy that the government may use. He, yes. It's a living reality, and now we know that in in a crisis situation like COVID nineteen, the government could, and you know, if we're opposing certain orders from the government, um, like the vaccine mandate or what have you, and you're protesting, the government could seize your assets or freeze your assets at least, right? Yeah. Um, and that seems to me. Um, Right. And then I'd say they did because the last two years they did shut down your, you didn't have a choice in the matter. If you had a small restaurant or if you had a little pizza shop, you said, oh, actually, I want to keep my business open. Government said too bad and you lose your business. So, and, and yeah, it's like, I'd even want to, cause even with you, like, cause so I want to, do you mean go ahead, the John. convoy, by the way, like people in the convoy with businesses or. No, I think no, businesses, no, that, is, is businesses in oh. general, but not the big corporations, hey. you know, they were protected. Why? Um, well, because then I because then you said a, a minute ago, and I would if there's anybody else, I would want to say you said like Trudeau isn't acting like a, a tyrant, or he he's enacting policies and stuff based on like these kind of notions. Mm -hmm. I like to use the word naive. I don't want to be offensive, but like, yeah. do you not think? And this is where people go and they think the word conspiracy. And I do want to touch on this notion or term conspiracy because yeah. it comes up so much. Do you not think that some of the most powerful people in business or in government? are not bribed or threatened mm -hmm. or because I think again in Canada we have this like cheery notion that like our politicians are like just normal good people and they just kind of walk around and they're, they're just like, like living with us yeah, and they're good. Yeah. do you not think that someone like a Trudeau is being pressured or influenced or bribed or threatened so okay that's so where we're talking problem, about okay and I think yeah. the distinction is between you know, a, a, metaphys a metaphysical worldview and sort of an epistemological sort of approach, okay? So obviously I believe that anybody has a potential to be tyrannical, right? But, you know, and I think it's human nature. I think anybody in a position of power yeah. can abuse it, course, right? So course, yeah. I, I can concede to that. But the challenge is that I, I still feel a burden to, to come up with more concrete facts to say, hey, this person's a tyrant. You know what I'm saying? Like. I think it's a certain sense of humility that I say, you know, I'm not going to dismiss Justin Trudeau as a tyrant. I think I'm going to say, well, he could be one, you know, or, you know, he actually really believes that this is the right thing to do. Sure, yeah. And maybe he has good intentions. And I, I just don't have enough facts to, to prove definitively that he's a tyrant. Exactly. And you know it, what I'm saying? It's okay. Because, like, there's two things to that. Because, like, if when I talk to people, I would say the key distinguishment would be this. Is it a matter of nefarious nefariousness or is it a matter of incompetence? Because I think a lot of people would say, oh, it's not so much that the government had bad intentions. And again, it's so easy to pick on government. Like, again, for all of us, yeah. we can pick on anything, but we're just talking about him now. But like, was it, matter, was it a matter of incompetence? Because I've heard some people say that, oh, it was, it was bad marketing. It was bad yeah. messaging. It was a lack of clarity. Oh, they actually meant well for the people, but they just did a bad job because they were incompetent. Or is this intentional? Was there an actual nefarious desire or purpose behind it? Yeah. And I've been like, I'd be pretty clear in saying, I think it's the latter, not the former, but that would require evidence. But this yeah. leads now to conspiracy because what people consider valid evidence, and this, again, epistemology, what's considered valid, 
Well, I would say, at least in a country like Canada, what's been considered valid has been what's been called like the mainstream opinion. And anything that's considered deemed now a conspiracy are any ideas or opinions that go contrary to what the mainstream narrative is. Mm -hmm. But then I would just say again, like, but if the mainstream narrative is false, or if it's not telling you the truth, or if it's lying, or then by deduction, any other opinion is conspiratorial. It doesn't mean it's false, though. Yeah. Because what matters is truth. I'm like not dismissing what you have to say. Okay, it's a conspiracy. Good, good, good. I, I, I'm just saying I'm open to... I, I understand that people, anybody can be corrupt. I oh, understand and, that. So it's not... Yeah. And, and that's, again, like that's the beauty of what I'd say the Bible teaches. Is that when, the, especially more of a, what would be considered a reform view, all have sinned and mm -hmm. all have fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So for me to go and look at like a Trudeau or look at a Joe Biden or a Trump or whoever's in part and be like, ah, I'm better than you. I'm smarter. I'm more moral. Uh-oh. <laughs> like that's where we get into dangerous grounds because you're right the idea at least from the from the bible and the gospel only god is good only yeah. jesus was good he's the only one who wasn't tainted by this desire for power and accumulation that infects all of humanity yeah. aka what's called sin if the society is changing their undergirding philosophy or metaphysical understanding of what reality is yeah that's what interprets reality. I can see somebody who supports the ma vaccine mandates. I'm not talking about supporting the vaccine. You know, I'm, I'm sure the vaccines are generally fine. My issue with the vaccines, okay, should the government be in a position to dictate to us to use them? Like, that's the issue. And I can, I can understand somebody who says yes, because it could save people, right? So, and you can, you can, you can conduct some um, tests to see if, whether or not it's actually saving sure, lives. Sure, and I'm sure, sure it does, yeah. okay? But my problem is, okay, well, if we're giving the power to the government to mandate these sorts of things, it's going to diminish our power to choose, right? But we can't test our loss of freedom empirically. So we can't. So it's like comparing apples and oranges. Sure, some people would be saved or some people would die if they don't take the vaccine. And we can test that. But we can't test the consequences of our loss of mm. freedom and autonomy by giving it to the government. We can't measure it, but we know it's there. You know, we don't know it empirically through the sciences, but we know it through studying the humanities, like metaphysics, like theology, mm. like history. Mm -hmm. We know historically that people have, you know, institutions have exploited people and, and, and tyrants have exploited people as well. So there's a real risk, but you can't compare the mm -hmm. two different risks. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned like empires earlier. Um, you know, the way that empires have kind of evolved over history have been we've, uh, you know, met, went from these sort of uh, uh, greedy leaders to these more benevolent ones over time. And a good example of that would be the Ottoman Empire, right? You have this very generous, I mean, yes, there are people in power, but they're very generous to their yeah. subjects. Um, and I think the same sort of thing has kind of happened with the West. But what's important to remember there is they still have a bottom line. They're like, even though uh, they're sort of adopting the uh, like sort of Adam Smith's principle of what's good for me is good for you, um, or what's good for you is good for me. Uh, what really matters there is what's good for me. Mm. So they're not going to sacrifice their own interests. Yes. With that said, I think that you know even if we say thought that the vaccine mandates were good, I think there's probably you know good reasonable amount of evidence to suggest that perhaps the government would not be creating those mandates for the good of public health. Probably not solely for the good of public health. 
So their, their motives could easily be mixed. Yeah, easily mixed. Honestly, probably more financial than what we'd like to think. It seems a little abstract, at least on the individual level, to consider the losses to freedom versus, say, the loss to health. Uh, I mean, the evidence seems very clear that uh, in terms of your own health for the individual, there is a very, very high chance that taking the vaccine is going to be beneficial to you. Um, so th- this podcast is not about the vaccine and no. whether or not uh, it should be mandated by the government, but but it, it illustrates the points that we're making. Oh, completely. Oh, for sure. Because I would say, again, if I want to focus more on like truth and lies. See, again, you and I, if you're left, if you're right, if you're pro-vax, if you're anti-vax, it doesn't matter. We're actually all collectively on the same team. And that's the goal that we need to be looking back for for society is we should be striving for peace brotherhood companionship and the basis yeah. of why like things like human rights or some of the great victories of the west are so essential was that they're the undergirding like realities that can bring us all together thanks so much for listening to this episode of variologies again i'm dan calcano and if you'd like to support this podcast please share it with others and consider donating at my website, messianicniagara.com. And follow me on social media at Dan Calcano on Twitter. And you can email us variologies at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. God bless.